What an awesome and mighty God we serve. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to come into the house of the Lord and lift up the name of Jesus. We invite your attention today to the book of 1 Peter as we continue in our series, Exiles, Studies in 1 Peter. And our text today is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. Uh, When you have it, say, I got it. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord in the English Standard Version comes to us saying, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins, in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I thought for today that we want to share with you is believers and injustice. Believers and injustice. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I came today to report to you that I am tired. I'm weary in my spirit. And heart on a level I'm not sure that I have ever experienced. My fatigue of spirit weighs heavy upon me and results in my heart weeping for what has become of us in America. We are a hurting country right now. Wounded by our inability to understand and to handle injustice without tearing each other and our communities asunder. We are a nation adrift, floating helplessly upon the seas of unrest and discontent. We are drifting further and further into a hopelessness that discourages all hope of ever reaching the lofty ideals upon which this nation was founded, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all. I listened intently this week to the song, America the Beautiful. In the midst of the chaos and the pain in the city of Baltimore, I got on my iPod and I listened to that song and, and, I, and I wondered as I was listening to that song what compelled Kathy Lee Bates to write these words, Oh, beautiful for spacious skies. For amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed 
Y'all ain't hearing that today. God shed his grace on thee and crowned thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. My heart is heavy. And that's the verse of this song that we all know, but she writes another verse that's always caught my attention. It says, Oh, beautiful for heroes proved in liberating strife who more than self their country loved and mercy more than life. America, America, may God thy goal refine till all success be nobleness and every gain divine. This song looks toward the God of heaven to be the guiding force in this nation. Yet we drift further from God as a country. A country filled with Christians and churches. See, let me tell you something right now so you won't get, get upset. Every sermon, not a shouting sermon. Sometimes we got to pause and get this in our hearts. We have drifted with, with, with a nation full of believers. And yet we still drift away from God. And so I say to you, I'm weary in my soul. So weary that I found myself doing something this week that I don't often do. I sat in my office and I cried out to the Lord asking him why. Why are we as a country experiencing so much strife that families and friends, communities and cities, states and this nation divide along lines of separation that define what is darkest in us. Concerning injustice, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. This is a profound and true statement, but it still leaves us with this awesome task of defining just what is injustice. Is something unjust because I feel that it is? Is the definition of injustice as intensely subjective as it is often characterized in the media? Somebody feel like they've been done wrong. Does that mean they've been done wrong? I dare say that we need a standard for injustice that is higher than our emotions or our feelings. There have been many times in my life when I felt I was wronged unfairly. But once my emotions retreated back to a sense of balance, I could see the circumstance from a more balanced and steady point of view. And ultimately determined that too often in, in my mind of, that had created this injustice, too often I, I had a major role. In creating the atmosphere for my own suffering. You ain't got to say amen on that. I know. Maybe that's just me. 
But a lot of times when we think we've been treated poorly, we have to look at who laid the groundwork for that circumstance. And as believers, we see circumstances in our own lives and in this world that cause us to consider whether injustice has occurred on a personal level. We are often drawn into the consideration whether someone is treating us right. How many times have we mentioned that to ourselves? Well, they're not treating me right. As I shared with you on last week, as we look at, at employment, how many times have you said on the job, well, they're just not treating me right. I'm not going to put up with them not treating me right. No one feel, likes to feel wronged in any way. On a corporate level, we see injustice or what we believe to be injustice happen in our society on a daily basis. And because of the availability of 24-hour news and the access to social media, humanity is more and more informed than ever before. We have a daily overload of information. We see things happening in real time, and our minds are tempted to make quick judgments. Often without all of the facts. I remember when I was in high school and before I met my lovely wife. So I have to say that first. I, uh, I called myself being sweet on a young lady. And, and, and I would always try to do something to get her attention and Yet it seemed like she just wouldn't give me the time of day. So one day I, I, I decided I'm going to stop talking to her because I'm making a fool out of myself. And then one day her friend comes up to me, says, you know, she likes you, right? I'm like, well, she doesn't act like it. <laughs> See, I had determined that simply because she was shy, that that meant she didn't like me. And so we think about how quick we are to judge situations without all of the facts. Yet even within those dynamics, it would be naive of us to think that as believers, we live in some sort of utopian society where there's liberty and justice for all. On the contrary, my brothers and sisters, we live in a world where people and systems inhabited by people, continue to groan, struggle, and labor under the weight of sin. This is not utopia. This world is not a place where everything is supposed to always go right. That's come as a surprise to some of you. On the contrary, we live in a world where people and systems have a, 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 a tendency to do what is wrong rather than do what's right. Sin permeates our world, and to deny such is to have an unhealthy and unrealistic world view. Sin and the resulting injustice causes real pain in our world. And it's not 
healthy or wise for us to ignore the pain of others. See, my pain might not be your pain, but how insensitive would I be to ignore your pain? Amen? We shouldn't ignore the pain of others. We shouldn't, we shouldn't get out there and, and pretend like people aren't hurting. You know what I saw this last week in Baltimore? I saw hurting people not knowing where to turn. I saw a community much like Gary and Chicago and other places around the world, around this nation. I saw a community full of Christians, but not full of the gospel. Because the gospel gives people a place to go with their pain. I'm going to say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives every believer a place to go with our pain. And I believe that is within this reality that Peter writes to the exiles of the first century. And his words still resonate with us in the 21st century. Now, the operative question here is, what do we as believers in the face of injustice, what do we do in the face of injustice in our land and in our lives? And in this text, Peter responds to the previous question of suffering by continuing to point to the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. How should we so suffer in this world under the weight of sin and its result, which is often unfairly thrust upon us? Peter does not argue that injustice does not exist, but instead continually points people to Christ. God never in the Bible makes a promise that there will be no injustice in the world. If there's anyone that's so acutely aware of the devastating effect of sin on humanity, it would be God. And there's nowhere in Scripture where you see this promise that there will not be injustice. Where there will not be systemic injustice. You don't see that in the Scripture. It is in the Word of God where I and all believers should find comfort for the weariness of living in an unjust world. It is in the person of Christ we find a special refuge as believers from the daily onslaught of sin and its effect on neighbors, on our neighbors and our communities. It is the shelter of Christ which provides us, even though we are undeserving, with protection from the forces of evil which seek to destroy our spiritual balance. In Christ, my brothers and sisters, we have the answer. God is not silent to the promise to the problems of Baltimore, Ferguson, New York, South Carolina, Chicago, or Gary, and Northwest Indiana. He loudly and boldly offers Christ as a solution to every one of these circumstances. God is not silent to our pain that results even from our own sin. He steadfastly 
offers Christ as the solution. So how then do we apply the solution of Christ to injustice? Because it's not just a matter of me telling you what we ought to do today. We need to know how do we do this? Well, Peter charges us in this text to remember, first and foremost, the injustice placed upon Christ. Now, there are three discipleship elements that that emanate from this text And the first one is this. Christ suffered as an innocent. Look at somebody and say, Christ is innocent. Christ suffered as an innocent. Now, in verse 22, Peter says this. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Peter reminds us all that Christ was completely sinless and innocent. He draws us into the suffering of Christ by beginning to allude to the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 53. He brings us right there to the suffering of an innocent Savior. The innocence of Christ provides for us some measure of true perspective when we feel the weight of injustice in our lives. Let me tell you what the innocence of Christ does for us. The innocence of Christ reminds us of our guilt. Amen? Think about that for a minute. The innocence of Christ reminds us of our guilt. What does that mean? Well, far too often, we measure ourselves against the actions of others. Jesus tells a parable about about a guy who comes in uh, as a Pharisee and he goes into the temple to pray and he goes into the temple and he walks right down front and arrogantly begins to pray and he passes up along the way a lowly tax collector who's sitting in the back of the temple and he and he goes up there and he pretty much says something like, I'm glad I'm not like that dude back there. How many times have we done that? Have we walked beyond someone who was hurting, who was in pain, who maybe had had greater obvious sin than us? Key word is obvious. And, and And we compare ourselves to those individuals rather than saying, let me stand next to Christ and see how I measure up. How do you measure up next to Christ? (laughs) Yet when we consider the innocence of Christ, we must submit to the truth that he who knew no sin was made sin for us. God, with making him sin, reminds me of just how guilty I am because God made him sin. So Peter reminds us that the cornerstone of suffering and justice in a sinful world is to remember the innocence of Christ. By implication, Peter alludes that unlike Christ, we commit sin and have deceit in our mouths. He says, in him who knew no sin. It was him. I'm talking to y'all right now, right? He says, Peter says, in him, he knew no sin and there was no deceit or no guile in his mouth. In him, but as for us. I see we ain't going to get that today, but. 
As for me, I'm reminded when I think of the holiness and the innocence of Christ, I'm reminded that in me, sin wants to raise its ugly head every chance it gets. So Peter reminds us. Now, here's another thing that happens when we think about the innocence of Christ. The innocence of Christ reminds us of the depth of God's love. Just how far God would go to get us. Think about that. Think about how just how far he is willing to go to come and get us. How amazing, wonderful, and gracious is love for an, from an innocent toward the guilty. Christ loved us so much that he innocently suffered for us. He was willing to go and get us because there was no way that sin would let us get to him. See, if you really got that, you'd be shouting all over this place right now. If you, if you really understood the depth of your sin and how far God had to come to get you, how far he had to come to fetch you out of the muck and the mire and place your feet on solid ground. How far did you go, God? Some of us know that he got us out the gutter. Huh? Oh, come on. Don't get self-righteous on me now. Don't forget about what you used to be, huh? Look at somebody and say, yep, that used to be me. Yep, that, that, that was me, yep. Yeah, he got, he got me out of the gutter. He went low so I could go high. I wish I had somebody here. So when I think about how innocent he is, it reminds me of how far he was willing to go to pull me out of my sin circumstance. Peter makes the case for the innocence of Christ to also remind us that there is no greater example of injustice done to a person than what was done to Christ. Amen. Now watch this. Now we got some tough things in the world. But there was nothing that has ever been or will ever be more unjust than what happened to Jesus when he came to this world. His birth started out kind of unjust. Huh? His mama was pregnant with him before she married his daddy. Oh. Huh? Uh, Mary, come here for a minute. The Holy Ghost is going to give you a baby. Huh? Joseph, your wife, who you've never been intimate with, is pregnant. <laughs> Some of y'all be glad you wasn't Joseph, okay? Because <laughs> we've been like, look here, Mary, um, it's been real. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get out of here now. <laughs> you do you, and I'm going to do me. <laughs> But that, but that's see, see you you as we as we honor marriage, somebody got to think about Joseph too, because Joseph, Joseph Joseph did the right thing in a bad situation. 
Watch this now. So his birth was God. He was born among animals in a place for animals. I mean, unjust. It was all the way through. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Don't tell me about how hard it is for you. No greater example of injustice than what was done to Christ. To bear in his body, on top of all of that, to bear in his body the sin and the corresponding weight thereof, all while being innocent, makes the persecution, prosecution, and murder of Christ the worst injustice ever in the course of human events. No person, in spite of the seriousness of the injustice perpetrated, upon them can ever say that they suffered completely as an innocent. I don't care what you've been through. You're not innocent. You might not have been guilty right then. Let me help you understand something. You might not have been guilty of that. I wish I had a witness here. It ought to be two or three people remember what they got saved from. I'll throw your hand up right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of something. And so, and so here, you have, here you have an innocent Christ. Even, even the suffering of babies. Because I know some of you are thinking, well, what about the little babies that are born in the world and, and they go through suffering and they have disease and, and, and cancer of infants and all of those kind of things. Even as tough as this is to understand, The suffering of babies is cloaked in the truth that we all come into this world sinners. Now, parents of teenagers can help me here. You remember what they looked like when they was first born? You were like, oh, I hit the jackpot here. I mean, that's just the cutest thing you ever want to see. Look at them, goo gooing and guy guide and coochie coo and all that, all that talk that you love. Look at, and then they became teenagers. <laughs> Those hormones start kicking in. Estrogen got levels got up in the ladies, and the testosterone levels got up in the young men, and 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 then they start getting a little bass in their voice, the boys especially, and, and they want to ask you, "Yeah, what up? <laughs> Who you think you're talking to?" <laughs> My father used to tell me and Kevin, "You say get some of that bass out your voice when you talk to me." I, we come in there, yes, sir, what do you have? For, what would you like for us to do, sir? You, take that bass out your voice when you're talking to me. And so even babies are born sinners by one man's sin. Death and sin pass to all. Now, the lesson for us is that since Jesus did not sin through his suffering, we as his followers should refrain from sinning when we are mistreated for following him. He didn't sin in his suffering. Don't you sin in yours. Okay, I'm going to show you how, what that means right now. Right now, the second thing that Peter gets in this, in this, in this text that jumps out at us is that regarding his suffering, Christ never sought revenge. 
but he trusted God. Oh, you're getting ready to get released. You're going to get delivered right here. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Huh? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter reminds us of the atrocity surrounding the suffering of Christ by saying that when he was reviled or suffered from abusive things said to and about him, he did not respond in the way he was treated. Now, I need to talk to the bed not folks for a minute. You know who you are. You're the ones always saying what somebody better not do. <laughs> they better not say anything to me today. They better not act like they They better not get in my face. I ain't playing today. <laughs> this is not the day today. My husband better not say nothing to me. Oh, wait a minute. Let me. If, you ain't, if you're not one, you might be married to a bed-not person. <laughs> you better not bother me today. And so, and so he did not respond the way he was treated. How do you respond when someone says evil things about you? What's the first thing you want to do? You want to start defending yourself. I know you're not talking to me. Huh? I know, I know, I know that I know that I know <laughs> that you're not talking to me. You get that Robert De Niro spirit, you know, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? <laughs> but watch this now. He didn't respond that way. Now, in the 23rd verse, there's something else that happens here. It teaches us that Jesus did not threaten those who were the source of his suffering. Now, imagine for a moment that you have all power in your hand and you have the power not only to annihilate your enemies, but, but you also have the power to remind them that once I kill you here, you're going to be in hell forever. See, that's why the Lord can't give us that power. Some of y'all right now think, I got a couple of them, I would use that on. <laughs> Imagine having that kind of authority, yet you choose to forego that authority and suffer at the very hands of the people that you could speak and they would die. This is what Christ did. Watch this, it's going to mess you up right here. He did something great by not doing anything at all. Jesus lived in the first century under one of the most oppressive governments on the face of the earth, the Roman Empire. Everything was about Rome. They ain't care nothing about your... I mean, they let the Jews get away with a lot of stuff, but when push comes to shove... What did Pilate say? Crucify that dude. One of the most impressive governments on the face of the earth, Jesus lived under, and not one time do you read in the New Testament where Jesus led a protest march. See, that, that ain't comfortable to hear. What did he say? 
He said, love your enemies. Do good to them that mistreat you. Pray for those who would revile you and say all manner of evil against you. For great is your reward in heaven. Our problem is we want it all right now down here. Give me my reward. And if you get in my way, I'll run you over and get it. Rare in human history does what Jesus did occur. We often find ourselves using every means necessary to threaten those who cause us pain. This is, according to, John, to, to, to Wayne Grudem, this is a natural fleshly response of those who depend on themselves and not on God. You know why the first thing you do is you start defending yourself in the midst of un, uh, injustice? is because you depend more on yourself than you do on God. I'm not trying to start nothing. I'm just saying. You depend on your ability to handle things. See, if you, if, you, if you know a better not person, sometimes you have to talk them people off the wall. Talk them off the ledge. They're getting ready to take matters in their own hands. Because we depend more on self and our ability to handle circumstances than we do on God. Now you say, how do you, how do you juxtapose that, Pastor, with, with what Dr. King did in the Civil Rights Movement and all that? Let me help you understand something. So you've got to understand what King's version of the Civil Rights Movement was about. It was about the gospel. we just out here to remind everybody to love their neighbor. We're marching to say, love your neighbor, treat your enemies right. We're marching to say that God is no respecter of person, that he made everybody in his image and his likeness. That's what we were just reminding you. See, when you have that attitude, they sick dogs on you, you'll stand. Watch this now. When they put the water hoses on you, you'll stand because you know that you're out here for the cause of Christ to remind the world that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the answer and God is the father of us all. Look, the last lesson, this verse indicates why Jesus was able to steadfastly suffer in the face of injustice done to him. He simply trusted God to handle it. He placed his entire life and all of the challenges that accompany living in a sinful world to the hands of the Father. He said that I am going to put everything in God's hands. Now think about that for a minute. We say that all the time. Lord, I'm going to put this in your hand until things start going a little different than we think they ought to go. Hmm? If our prayer don't get answered the way we think it ought to be answered, we don't want it in God's hands then. We want it in our hands. Watch this now. As his disciples, we would do well to believe that God is able to not only keep us, but to handle all judgment against those who cause injustice in our lives and in the world. God is a judge and his hands are the only capable hands to righteously handle our case. If you want to put something in God's hands, 
Leave it there. Leave it there. Watch this. I'm, I'm going to show you a quick illustration of this. Gene, come here for a minute. Okay, Gene. Here, take this book. Go ahead, take it. Take it. See? See? As long as my hands on Thank you, Gene. As long as my hands are on it, Gene never has it. That's how we do in our prayers. Lord, take this problem. And God said, I'm trying to trying to let it go, but but see, I'm gonna tell you how you hold on to it. You think you've given it to God until you see that person that caused the problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I gave it all to the Lord until you see them. And when you see them, you're like, look at them. How dare they, they even speak to me. See, you haven't given that to God. You haven't. Look at somebody and say, I know that's right. I... <laughs> last thing, last thing. Here's, what, here's the last thing that Christ did here in this, in this text. Christ embraced suffering for the sake of others who didn't deserve it. He embraced suffering for the sake of the undeserving. Embraced means that he pursued the suffering. Jesus gave a big hug to his suffering. Oh, come on here, somebody. Look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Look, Peter now pours into the prophecy of Isaiah. He takes us there as he teaches how to suffer in the face of injustice. Peter gives an explicit statement which is at the heart of the gospel. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. Important prepositional phrases there. In his body and on a tree. So that our sin was not just put on the cross. Our sin was put on Christ. So it was in his body and he hung on a tree. Watch this now. He did all that. God placed upon Christ the sins of us all in a way that we can't even truly comprehend. He became sin so that we could have eternal life with God. Jesus embraced the path to the cross. He said, for this cause I came into the world. I knew what I was going to do. I embrace the pathway to the cross. I embrace suffering for those who do not deserve it. What would this city be like if every believer embraced a path of righteous suffering for the sake of others without complaining, without moaning, or without grumbling? As soon as you ask us to do something. Oh, watch this now. Hmm? Now, wait. Uh, why me? Why, why do you want to ask me to do it? What would happen if we said, yes, I want to suffer for the sake of others? 
You know why we don't do that? We're too busy suffering for our own mess we created. I just threw that in for free. Watch this now. Jesus did not only die to provide forgiveness to us, but he also died to give us the power to live for righteousness. Peter says he died that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, even in the face of injustice. Let us never forget that Christ died so that we can live to righteousness. We live to righteousness by dying to sin. Every time you, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. But yet I live, not me, but Christ lives in me. Paul says in Romans 6, that reckon yourself as dead. Kill your members of sin. Kill the flesh. He says, do all that. Stray and, de- and deny sin in your life. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. So that the glory of God can be revealed in you. Now, Peter says this. We've been healed by the wounds of Christ. But what is this healing? Was it physical? Now watch this. Many of us in here have quoted Isaiah 53. And we say, by his stripes, we heal. We go to the hospital and pray for somebody. We say, by his stripes, we heal. Now, I don't want to suggest to you that God does not perform miraculous healings because God does heal. I'm a witness of that. But watch this. This text is not about physical healing. Watch this now. So if you're going to quote it, quote it right. The context of Isaiah 53 is sin. The context of Peter chapter 2 is sin. He says, you were like sheep. You you are going away from him. He says, hey, Christ bore your sins in his body and on a tree. And he says, by those stripes have your sins been healed. You've been healed from the sickness of sin by the stripes, the wounds of Jesus Christ. So, So watch this now. So even if I'm sick, I'm healed. You ain't getting this. Even if I'm hurting in my body, I'm healed. Even if I struggle in my finances, I'm healed. Even if my mind is weary, I'm healed. Healed because my sin is forgiven and the stain washed away by his blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other help I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is the suffering of Christ that calls us back to God. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. You were straying like sheep. But it's his suffering and his wounds that drew us back to him. The songwriter said something like, when I survey the wondrous cross. Another songwriter said, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burdens of my heart were washed away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. 
and now I'm happy all the day. It was because of his suffering that I'm drawn back. My tendency in life is to stray. My tendency in life is to do my own thing. But Christ calls me back and says, you're mine. Oh, somebody ought to give him praise in here today. It is truly in the face of a sinful and unjust world that we can embrace a Savior who suffered through the worst injustice for the sake of many. He did not hide from the cross, but embraced his pain for the sake of others. And as his followers, my brothers and sisters, as I end this today, let us not run from the cross, but let us run toward the cross. Let us embrace the pain Caused by injustice with the soft heart of forgiveness and not respond with a cold heart of revenge. Let us always remember that Christ was innocent in his suffering and yet we bear guilt in ours. His example sets before us the challenge to suffer that someone else might be healed. You don't know that in your suffering, that God isn't using that to heal someone else. You don't know if God is taking your suffering and giving someone else a picture of Jesus Christ and the gospel. So suffer well. His example sets before us the challenge to suffer. Bless those that curse you. Hold fast to the knowledge that the righteous judge of heaven will have the last say. Stand on your feet all over this room. So when you suffer, you suffer for his glory. You suffer at the hands of an unjust world and an unjust society we suffer for the glory of God it's not easy to watch people go through pain and hardship it's not easy to see what's going on in our world today and not feel like we need to lash out we need to do something we need to hold people accountable I understand all that But I say this, use Christ as your example. Trust God. Speak the truth. Share the gospel. Tell people that the greatest injustice was Jesus coming to this world, being rejected by the world he created. John tells us all things were made by him and apart from him, nothing was made that was made. And yet this world rejected him. So as we follow his example, let's love instead of hate. Let's lift people up and encourage instead of tearing people down. Let's stand on truth of his word and let's do it all for his glory.